Welcome back. Jordana Green here from WCCO Radio. And each month I am joined by Kate Kelly, who is the PNC Regional President for the bank. And we do this podcast called See Speak Minnesota, the language of executives. Kate, I know he's a personal friend and we're super excited about this guest, Neil Kashkari, the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. It'll be great. Every time I visit with Neil, I learn something and I think our listeners will too. So this is exciting. Thank you. Yes. And if anyone who thinks talking to a banker is not going to be fun, this one is, I promise you, it always is with Kate, but Neil too. So I want, I want to set the stage for our listeners. In the North Loop along the Western Bank of the Mississippi River, the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis cuts an imposing figure. There are nearly 1,100 employees, most of whom are now logging in from home these days, and they work in a variety of functions as part of the nation's critical economic infrastructure. The Minneapolis Fed is more than just monetary and economic policy. Under President Neil Kashkari's leadership, the bank has tackled topics such as systemic racism, education access, opportunity gaps, and of course, the pandemic. Neil took office as president and CEO of the Fed of Minneapolis in January of 2016. He serves on the Federal Open Market Committee, bringing the Ninth District's perspective to monetary policy discussions in Washington, D.C. And just if you don't know, I had to look it up too. The Minneapolis Fed serves six states in the Ninth Federal District, which is Minnesota, Montana, North and South Dakota, and 26 counties in Northwestern Wisconsin and the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. So it's not like a district, like a voting district. It is a huge swath of America. Just wanted to make that clear. Jordana, it's always a pleasure for me to talk with Neil and stay connected with the Federal Reserve. I had the honor of serving on the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Board for six years, rolling off at the end of 2019. My reflection from that experience is that we are so fortunate to have an independent Federal Reserve System and its leaders, staff, and board members are truly public servants. Now, Neil, I know you're not going to want me to go on too much about your background, but I would love the listeners to have a few excerpts because I, I think they'll find it fascinating as, we, as I do. Neil's career began as an aerospace engineer when he developed technology for NASA space science missions. He then joined Goldman Sachs in San Francisco, where he helped technology companies raise capital and pursue strategic transactions. From 2006 to 2009, Neil served in several senior positions at the U.S. Department of Treasury. In 2008, he was confirmed as the Assistant Secretary of Treasury. In this role, he oversaw the Troubled Asset Relief Program, otherwise known as TARP, during the financial crisis. Neil received the Alexander Hamilton Award, the Treasury's Department's highest honor for distinguished service. Now, somewhere in there, too, he ran for the governor of California. So, (laughs) no slight matters, you know. Neil and his wife, Christine, now live in Orno, and they just had a baby. Congratulations on your son who joins his older sister. Congratulations. Yeah, isn't that great? Thank you. Neil, Jordana and I have several questions, and we could could talk forever, but we want to laser in on a few key areas, and the first one being quality education. Uh, Neil and I share a passion around early education and closing our state's unacceptable disparity gap in education. Neil has joined with retired Minnesota Supreme Court Justice Alan Page to propose amending a Minnesota's constitution to make a quality public education a fundamental right. Neil, please share with our listeners what this is all about. 
Well, thank you, Kate. Great to be with you. And thank you for your service to the Minneapolis Fed. And Jordana, pleasure to meet you. Uh, thanks for having me on today. You know, when I moved to Minnesota more than five years ago, I was shocked to discover that Minnesota has some of the worst education disparities in the country. That means the difference between, on average, white students and children of color, and not just that, the difference between how low-income children in Minnesota all across the state, all races, are badly trailing their middle class and more well-to-do peers. These are some of the biggest gaps in the entire United States of America. And I wanted to understand why these gaps exist. So I had our researchers at the Minneapolis Fed look at the data, look at the data nationally. And what we concluded was that there have been many attempts in Minnesota over the past 20 or 30 years to improve education outcomes, to close these terrible disparities. But we've made zero progress. And if you look around the country, some states have made progress. It is possible. You know, sometimes you'll meet people and they'll say, oh, you've got it all wrong. It's not about education. You got to first solve poverty. That is completely wrong. Other states have poverty too, and yet they're doing much better for their low-income children and their children of color. So what we concluded, what I concluded was that there's a political problem in Minnesota. You know, we're divided politically. Both parties care about education, but their solutions are different. So they don't agree. So we don't make any real major reforms to update our system. So more than two years ago, I reached out to former Justice Page both because he spent 22 years on Minnesota Supreme Court and because I knew he had a lifetime of passion for education and education equity. And I asked him, is there a way we could use the law to break through these political barriers to put children first? So, I mean, long story short, Minnesota, the Minnesota constitution today has an education provision. It says children have the right to access an adequate education system. What does that mean, an adequate system? It's a system that is on average adequate, great for some, lousy for others. So what we realize is that the Minnesota education system today is performing exactly as the Minnesota constitution requires it to perform. Instead of adequate, we think every child in Minnesota should have the right to a quality public education. And then this should be the state's highest priority. And so we've put forward this proposal and what we're so excited about is it has received strong bipartisan support. Republicans and Democrats who normally, in many cases, don't agree with each other on very much are coming together to say enough is enough. We need to put our children first and let's start by amending the Constitution. Neil, I'm so glad to hear you got Republicans and Democrats to agree on something. So good job. That was right. <laughs> a, huge, a huge step. You know, Neil, when I think of the Fed, the first thing I have to be honest that jumps to mind is not generally social justice. But in researching this conversation, you know, I know there's important work being done at the Fed in the arena of racism uh, and the economic impact of racist economic policies. Can you share some insights on how your organization, the Fed, is addressing these policies? You know, the, the Federal Reserve is distributed all around the country. So we have 12 independent reserve banks and each does their own research on monetary policy, on the economy in general. Uh, racism has been a part of American, the fabric of America for all of our existence. And I think in many ways, some aspects of that, we're only waking up to it now. At least some of us are only waking up to it now. Those who've been experiencing it have been certainly aware of it forever. And so I think the Federal Reserve System is exploring what role we can play to try to close some of these terrible gaps that exist in our economy, whether it's education gaps or it's access to credit or access to affordable housing or access to healthcare what role can we play? So one, one role we can play is 
the Federal Reserve regulates banks, and we work very hard to make sure that the banks that we regulate are providing fair access to credit to all of their customers through something we call the Community Reinvestment Act. So that's one direct role that we have. Another role that we have is through our economic research. So just as an example, in education, we don't set education policy, but we care a lot about education policy because it affects how educated our workforce is, how competitive our economy is. So if our research can analyze problems, come up with nonpartisan solutions, then we wanna bring those ideas forward. And so I think there are many different ways that the Federal Reserve can play. Some directly we have control over, some really through our research effort, but I think we wanna do our part. And I know my colleagues agree, we wanna do our part to try to make our economy work for everyone. Neil, our economy is significantly being driven by the impact of the pandemic. What is the Federal Reserve doing to help households, businesses, and the U.S. economy at large through this crisis? Well, when the, you know, the U.S. economy was in quite good shape before the pandemic hit. The unemployment rate was low. Many Americans who had been out of work for years were finally finding jobs. Wages were growing most quickly for the lowest income workers. That was very, very positive. Then the pandemic hit, and it created such fear and such a shock to the economy that in many, in many sectors, the economy really ground to a halt. And then we got into action. You know, back in March of a year ago, March of 2020, fear was gripping financial markets. And investors didn't know how bad the pandemic was going to get, didn't know which sectors were going to be affected. So they just said, we want cash. We don't want to own stocks. We don't want to own bonds. We don't want to even own government bonds. We just want cash. And in those moments of extreme panic, that's why a central bank exists. We call it, we're the lender of last resort. So last March, the Federal Reserve stepped in very, very aggressively to provide cash or liquidity to the financial system to get those markets moving again so that this healthcare crisis didn't spill over and become a broader financial and economic crisis. So that was one thing we did very aggressively. And I'm proud to say and pleased to say our actions were effective in providing liquidity to our financial system to keep it open. We also cut interest rates down to zero. And we do that to try to provide more economic stimulus. So how does that work? We cut interest rates to zero, then that becomes cheaper for families to get a mortgage. It becomes cheaper for somebody to get a loan to buy a car or uh, potentially the interest rates on their credit cards. It's a way to help stimulate economic activity. We were very aggressive there. and We continue to be aggressive to try to get the economy moving to recover as quickly as possible so we can put the millions of Americans who are still out of work today back to work and rebuild the economy more quickly. Neil, not just the pandemic, but what about the fallout from the death of George Floyd? And specifically, you can talk about how this affected the Ninth District. And I, I know it's different for those that are in the Upper Peninsula. So if you want, you can you can speak locally as well. Well, the ninth, I mean, the, the murder of George Floyd was so profound for us here because it happened here, of course, right? As you said in the introduction, we have 1,100 employees that work at the Minneapolis Fed. We live here. We're members of our communities. We have all races represented in our bank. We're a very, we're a diverse bank. And so it, it affected some of our employees very personally uh, because they said, hey, that could have been me. That could have been my brother. That could have been my father. And so I, I think it was a, uh, a reminder of the inequities that people face in our societies. I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, I've tended to speed a little bit when I drive since I was 16 years old. I often drive five to 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, and I've gotten my fair share of speeding tickets driving five or 10 miles an hour over. Every single interaction that I've had in my life with the police, I have felt safe, I have felt respected, I've never felt any kind of threat. 
that's a very different experience than many members of our society have had. And so I think the death of George Floyd just was a stark reminder of the inequities in our criminal justice system and the, the very real fear that many of our fellow Americans and fellow Minnesotans face every day. And so, you know, we need the police. We need them to help us to have safety. We have a police force at our bank. Uh, we need to support the police, but we also need to hold the police accountable to treating all of our fellow citizens with respect, with dignity. And so I just think that that was a profound reminder of the inequities in our society, in that case, around criminal justice and physical safety, but it manifests itself in almost every dimension of our society. Well, Neil, talk to us about the minority-owned businesses, even that are affected locally. Did you guys um, you know, meet with them, talk with them, and not only help them post the death of George Floyd, but maybe set up minority-owned businesses for a future that was a little more positive? Well, we know that downtowns have been dramatically affected both by the pandemic, because people are working from home, so the downtowns have at least temporarily been somewhat hollowed out, but also with the the social unrest that uh, took place in Minneapolis with uh, the destruction that took place related to some of the protests and the ongoing tensions between police and communities that they are charged to serve. So if people don't feel safe going downtown, whether they're African-Americans who don't feel safe because you have police that they're nervous about or a lack of police presence, this is how complicated it is, leads many people of all races to say, hey, maybe it's not safe for me to go downtown. So. This is a, you know, these are very complicated issues and the pandemic is only making it worse. What role can we play? One role we're playing at the Minneapolis Fed is we are supporting uh, funding for something called the Paycheck Protection Program where banks all across America have been making loans to small businesses to help them get through the pandemic. The Minneapolis Fed and all of our colleagues around the Federal Reserve System nationally are providing funding to banks to help them make those loans to small businesses and there's been an extra effort made to try to make sure that minority and women-owned businesses and the smallest businesses can access that program. And so that's one area that we are trying to have a direct role to make sure the businesses get the support that they can get, that they need. But these are very complicated, multifaceted problems. Thank you. Neil leads the bank's many initiatives. Among them, he was instrumental in establishing the Opportunity and Inclusion Growth Institute whose mission is to ensure that world-class research helps to improve the economic well-being of all Americans. Neil, can you tell us more about the Institute and its current focus? Yeah, so when I, I said when I moved here to Minnesota in 2016, I was really surprised to learn about these terrible education disparities here in Minnesota. In 2017, so about a year, year and a half later, we decided to more formally get our research brain power focused on these issues of economic disparities. Again, we may not control the solution, but if we can do nonpartisan rigorous economic analysis that shines a light on them and may lead other policymakers to implement solutions, then that's an important contribution for us to make. So we launched the Opportunity and Inclusive Growth Institute in 2017. We hired a wonderful uh, expert, uh, Dr. Abigail Wozniak from Notre Dame University. She previously worked in the Council of Economic Advisors at the White House to lead the Institute. And so now it is a dedicated research center where we bring in scholars from around the country and around the world to partner with us to try to analyze these disparities in Minnesota and nationally and come up with actionable policy solutions. And you know, these, as I mentioned previously, many of these disparities have existed for decades or longer. So if they were easy problems, they would already have been solved. 
but we feel like doing bringing our research capability to bear is an important contribution for, to, for us to make. And I'll give you one specific example. The cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul both voted to raise their minimum wage to $15 an hour over time. Both cities came to the Minneapolis Fed and said, would you analyze the economic impact? Right? Some research says, hey, raising the minimum wage is great. It helps workers because they get a raise. But other research says, yeah, but other workers lose their jobs. So some win and some lose. The cities have come to us and said, will you do a comprehensive economic impact analysis because you're the only research institution everyone will trust because we're gonna do it fairly. And that's an example of the kind of work that we want to do and that we are doing and a contribution that we hope to make. Isn't that what we all need now? Someone that, uh, that we can trust, that we know is actual data and science and research and uh, somebody that we can rely on to give us the facts. Uh, Neil Kashgari, I wanna thank you so much for joining us. Neil, before we let you go, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanna talk about work that the Fed is doing? Well, I think the education work that we did talk about is enormously important. I would just encourage all of your listeners to you know, get involved, get educated. Ultimately, if this amendment is going to pass, it's gonna to go to the voters. The state house and the state senate need to first pass it. Uh, and then that goes to the voters in the next general election ballot. And the people of Minnesota will get a chance to weigh in. Do they believe every child in Minnesota should have the right to a quality public education? And do they believe education should be the state's highest priority? I certainly believe that. I think most Minnesotans will agree with that, but I hope that they will get involved, get educated, and be able to make whatever informed decision that they want to make. But thank you both, uh, Jordana and Kate, for having me today. Well, thank you for joining us, Neil. And these topics are all so important. I would also put a plug in for your institute. I mean, I attended most of them, and I think the listeners might want to check it out. They've just been so informative, especially in the virtual environment we're in. They've been spectacular. Um, Jordana, this has just been great fun. Neil, thank you so, so much. Um, this has been very valuable to all of us and our listeners. See, I knew talking to bankers was fun, but now everybody listening knows as well. It's always fun with Kate, <laughs> but uh, I learned a ton today. I honestly didn't know exactly what our Ninth District Federal Reserve did in whole, and I'm just so thrilled to hear about all of the social justice initiatives and that they are just really plugged into our community. So uh, what a fun conversation and an educational one with Neil Kashkari. Uh, Kate, always great to have you. Great conversations. I love learning stuff with you, and we'll do it again next next month. Sounds great. Thank you again, Neil and Jordana. We'll talk again next month. Take care. So once again, thank you for listening to See Speak Minnesota, the language of executives brought to you by PNC Bank and WCCO Radio. You can always listen to the podcast at odyssey.com. That is our new company at WCCO Radio or wherever you get podcasts. We'll see you next month.